Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 106. It's May 5th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, we're going to do a quick market review. We're going to talk about this very volatile market that we remain in and pretty much has been characteristic of everything that we've seen so far in 2015. And then I'm also going to answer your questions about 401ks. Basically, I'm going to cover, in my opinion, what is the good and the bad of 401k plans. I get a lot of questions about employer-sponsored retirement plans, and so that's what we want to cover in today's episode. Before we get started, let me first welcome all of our new listeners. I appreciate you stopping by and checking out the podcast. You might want to go back and listen to the first 10 episodes, and that's where I lay out my philosophy on wealth steading and on wealth building principles. These are the things that have helped me attain my wealth over these last 30 years. And when you listen to those 10 wealth building principles, you understand that from my perspective, it's not all about the money. In fact, the money is just a mechanism. In wealth steading, what we're really concerned about is a lifestyle that gives us personal freedom and personal liberty. So if you haven't heard them before, you might want to check out those first 10 episodes. And then what I try and do is come back in every subsequent episode and apply one or more of those wealth building principles to current events or market situations or to answer listener questions. I also want to thank everybody that's made an effort to go out and leave a review in iTunes. That really helps us get the word out about this community and about the podcast. And so anytime you subscribe over to iTunes or you leave a rating or a review there, it really helps. If you haven't done that yet, I'd encourage you to do so. I think the top line number over there is something like 96 ratings and reviews. I'd really like to see more reviews. If you can make that happen, I'd appreciate it. Well, hey, let's look at the market. We remain in a very volatile stock market. This has been characteristic of the market all the way, you know, all through 2015. And really, it started pretty much uh, about mid-December of 2014. Prior to that, we'd seen a fairly stable market for about, uh, you know, 18 months, 24 months. Well, of course, it had its ups and downs, but it wasn't anywhere near the volatility that we're seeing now. And what do I mean by volatility? Well, look at the market today. The S&P 500 was down almost 1.2%, and it was down in heavy volume. The volume that traded hands in today's market was well above average and probably 25-30% more than it had been in just yesterday's volume. Now, the reason that's important is that today the market was down significantly. So in addition to that change in price, we also saw a lot of trades occurring. So as an analogy, you can imagine just a lot of investors running for the exit doors. Okay, the prices were coming down and a lot of people were participating to sell their shares. And although there were always someone on both ends of the trade, someone has to buy when someone sells. In order to get those people to buy, the price had to come down substantially. So during times of volatility, what we often see is that more trades occur when the price comes down than when the price goes up. To me, that's obviously a red flag that investors are pulling money out of the market rather than putting money into the market. And if you go back on previous sessions, you'll see that the two previous sessions to today where the market was up, the market had bounced off its 50-day moving average on Friday. That's two trading sessions ago. So it was up significantly that day, and then it was up on Monday. That was one trading session ago. Well, both of those days, the market had low trading volume. Both of those days were characterized by trading volume that was below average, below the average trade that you'd see over a three-month period. But when you look at the two previous days before that when the market was down, well, guess what? Just like today when it was down, those days were characterized by above average trading volume. 
So what we're seeing is when the market goes up, less people are willing to part with their money. And when the market comes down, more people are willing to sell and take their profits and get out. This is very reminiscent of what we saw in uh, early January and into February, and then things smoothed out a little bit in March and, and into April, but it is pretty much characteristic of what we've seen this entire year. That's why most of my money is in cash right now. I believe when we get on thin ice and we get on uncertain periods like this, to me, the risk-reward is just not worth participating in the market. Right now, uh, year-to-date, you know, we're at uh, May 5th, so we're the first week in May, if you've been in the S&P 500 year to date, then you're up about 1.5%. But to have attained that 1.5%, you've had to go through some really gut-wrenching moves in the market. I mean, as I said, today the S&P 500 was down nearly 1.2%. It's basically uh, closed just below its 50-day moving average. Three trading sessions before that, it had fallen below its 50-day moving average, and then it bounced up. And about two weeks prior to that, it had fallen below its 50-day moving average. So although we are seeing some support at the 50-day moving average, we keep seeing it trying to move up, and then it hits resistance, and boom, it falls back down to its 50-day moving average. Now, the good news on that is that it is not dropping very much below its 50-day moving average, but the bad news is is that it can't get much above that either. And so to have stayed in the market for over four months and just to be coming out with like a, you know, a one and a half percent return on the S&P 500, in my opinion, that's a lot of risk, but not a whole lot of reward. And again, that's why I say that right now I'm mostly in cash. And for the better part of this year, I've mostly been in cash. If you go back and read my blogs or, or listen to previous episodes of this podcast, I believe we got into the market somewhere around February 20th, stayed in the market for maybe about four weeks, and frankly, that was about a week too long. I should have gotten out the previous week, but at that time, had a lot of exposure to international funds like Germany and France. Ireland, I remember, was a good performer, and then also had some money tied up in banking and insurance companies. I was expecting them to perform better than they did. As I say, I waited a little too long to get out of that trade. But having said that, we made a profit, we preserved our profits, and now we're sitting out in cash. And then every day, we don't have to go through this gut-wrenching volatility of, you know, is the market up 1% today or is it down 1%? Are we hovering just above the 50-day moving average or has it has it temporarily fallen below the 50-day moving average? I mean, why put yourself through that kind of pain? When you're in uncertain markets like this, you don't have to participate. No, we don't know if a storm is brewing. I mean, just imagine an analogy where you're at the beach and uh, you don't know whether a hurricane is coming, but you can see the waves crashing up against the dock and the marina and it's getting darker out and the wind's blowing more and the waves are getting higher and the sea's getting more rough. Well, that's the volatility that we see in the stock market. And again, you don't know whether there's going to be a tsunami or a tidal wave or whether a hurricane or, or, you know, a storm like that is brewing. But you do know that there's a lot of volatility in the sea and it's probably not a good time to go surfing or swimming. And so you get out of the water, you stay well up on the beach. That's what it's like being in cash when the stock market is performing the way it is. Now, when you do this, when you're in a cash position, you absolutely risk the opportunity to maybe miss out on some gains. We could see the market tomorrow bounce up off its 50-day moving average. I mean, this could be a great time to be getting in, buying on the dips, and it could go on to make all-time record highs. But for me, I'll take that chance. I'll lose that as an opportunity cost. Right now, as I look back, as it's what's happened over the last three and four months, I just see so much up and downward motion and really nothing happening. I don't want to risk all the profits I've made up to this point just to squeeze out another 3 or 4% gain when the market is, you know, really just off its all-time highs. 
to me, and this is just my personal opinion, you have to remember with this podcast, I'm just talking out loud. I'm just giving you an idea of my thoughts and how I'm trading. But these are just my opinions. They're not meant to be recommendations, nor do I ever offer any advice on this podcast. I simply tell you what I'm thinking, and then I encourage you to think about it yourself and draw your own conclusions. But let me give you another example about what, when I talk about the volatility of this market. Just about seven or eight trading sessions ago on the NASDAQ, we saw the NASDAQ finally hit a 15-year high where it basically went back and exceeded the old previous highs from the dot-com bubble. Now remember that. In fact, don't ever forget that. It took 15 years for the NASDAQ to get back to where it was. So when people talk to you about buy and hold and swing trading's too risky, well, it, you know, swing trading definitely comes with its risks. But if you're someone that had been invested in the NASDAQ back in 1999 and you held through all these periods of uncertainty, well, you know, congratulations, you maybe made your money back and you had to wait 15 years to get it. And that's in nominal terms. We're still not there with inflation adjusted terms. And in fact, if you'd have owned individual stocks and in many of those companies, you know, they're out of business or even companies like Microsoft. They're still well off the original highs that they had made back in 1998, 99 and 2000. So the NASDAQ as a whole has come back to those all-time highs right now, primarily because of the influence of Apple, but it's been a long 15 years to get back to where you were. That's why I'm personally not a believer in buy and hold. Again, if that's a strategy you use, if it works for you, keep doing it. But for me, I prefer to swing trade. And right now, my swing trading strategy is to be in cash. I'm digressing a little bit here, but let's get back right around six or seven trading sessions ago when it made that new all-time high. Well, boom, you know what? It's fallen apart ever since then. Just in the last four trading sessions alone, it's broken down twice below its 50-day moving average. That's a red flag. We've seen it come down over 3.5% in just a little more than a week. And in any given day, you can see some really wild swings. In fact, the NASDAQ was down over 1.5% today alone. And again, that was in heavy trading volume. That's something that you should be concerned about if you're still invested in the stock market. The other thing I wanted to talk about is 401k plans or just in general employer-sponsored retirement plans. If you work for a, a nonprofit or a government organization, you might be involved in a 403b. What I'm going to say today about 401ks are pretty much similar and can be applied to both. Now, I receive a lot of questions about 401ks, a lot of concern primarily from people that are afraid that they're not going to be able to get their money out of the 401k or are concerned that they just don't have a lot of choices within their 401k. Now, in terms of limited choices, I definitely agree there, and that's one of the things I want to talk about. But let me first start off by talking about the things that I like about the 401k, and then I'll come back and talk about what I dislike, and then I'll wrap it up with a bottom line. Because although, for example, I'm going to tell you some of the things I like about the 401k, but listen through the whole conversation, because just because I talk about something I do like or don't like doesn't mean that I'm necessarily telling you that you should be maxing out your 401k. In fact, when we get to the bottom line, you'll hear me say that in most cases, my preference is not to max out my 401k, and I'll tell you why as we go through the show today. Okay, first thing that I like about the 401k, I like the fact that it's an easy way to set up a, a payroll or a paycheck contribution deduction. You do it through your employer. It doesn't really cost you any money to set it up. Your HR department will get provide you with all the necessary forms. And with just a couple signatures, you can get this set up and start deducting money right out of your paycheck. The reason that's important, the reason I like that, is because most people don't have the discipline to save. And by pulling that money right out of your paycheck, it takes it away from you before you get the opportunity to spend it. 
So even if you are a discipline saver, that's still a great way to do it. You know, you're contributing whatever it is, $50, $1,000, a paycheck, you know, whatever income level you happen to be at, you can specify how much you want to have taken out of your paycheck. It just happens. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to remember it. The money's gone before you can spend it. And I think that's a good thing for the vast majority of people. The other thing I like about 401ks is the fact that they have very high contribution limits. Now, again, listen to the full episode because this is one of these points that I like, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it, okay? And when I talk about high contribution limits, what that means is is that if you're under 50 years old, as of 2015, you could contribute up to $18,000 of your income to your 401k. Now, I know many of you may be saying, well, hey, that's you know way, way much more than I could ever contribute, but it doesn't matter at this point if it is. The fact is that it is there and it's available to people. So for people that really want to buckle down and increase their savings rate or for people that are high income earners, this is just a really good way to be able to contribute either tax-free or tax-deferred to your retirement account. $18,000 is a significant amount of money, and that's if you're under 50. If you're over 50, you're actually allowed to contribute more, and that limit is up to $24,000. Again, that's an excellent way to sock away money, particularly if you're in those last couple years of your retirement and you haven't saved enough. You can be putting $24,000 away, and then depending upon what income bracket you're in or what your adjusted gross income is, you could also potentially be contributing to either your Roth or your individual IRA and, and putting in there, you know, another like another $6,500 each for you and your spouse if you're over 50. So I like those high contribution levels, an excellent way to really step up on your savings or get that last little bit in before you retire. Now, like I say, even though I like that, that doesn't mean you should do it. So listen on as I go through this discussion. The next thing I like about the 401k is that in recent years, they've also given you a Roth option. Up till now, the 401k was basically just like an IRA, meaning that it was funded with pre-tax money so that when you left your company and you retired, you could roll it over, but it had to be rolled over to an IRA, a traditional IRA. So that would mean that whenever you take withdrawals and you have to be at least 59 and a half to start taking withdrawals or there are mandatory withdrawals when you reach 70 and a half, but whenever that money comes out, it all went in tax-free. It grew and uh, compounded tax-free. But when you when you withdraw it, you will be required to pay taxes at whatever your ordinary tax rate is at that at your age of retirement. But in recent years, since they've added the Roth option to the 401k, you're given the opportunity when you contribute your money to put some or all of it into the traditional 401k side, which is like the IRA, that's all pre-tax money, or you can contribute some or all of that contribution into the Roth side of the account, which goes in after taxes, and then consequently it grows like a Roth IRA, which means that you've already paid taxes on it, you'll never have to pay taxes again. And so all your profits will be tax-free. And then when you pull it out, either at 59 and a half or whatever age you decide to, because remember, when you roll it over to a Roth, after you're retired with a Roth, there is no mandatory minimum withdrawal amounts that you have to take at any particular age. So you don't have to pull money out at 70 and a half if you don't want to. Your Roth money is always the money you spend last because it grows constantly tax-free and then when you pull that money out, because you funded it with after-tax dollars, you are not required to pay any tax on that money when you take it out. That's why I really prefer a Roth over a traditional IRA and why I'm very happy to see that they've included the Roth option in 401k programs. 
Now, whether you decide to fund your 401k with pre-tax dollars or post-tax dollars, that's up to you. You need to think about that. Again, my personal preference, what I've been doing over these last 30 years, is whenever it was offered to me, I almost always took a Roth option because I felt that my tax rate was most likely going to go up and not going to go down. Right when I was younger, I had more deductions because I had children, and so I was in theoretically a fairly low tax bracket. So by paying the taxes on the money then and putting it in the Roth, I believe it worked out in my favor. So my plan is when I reach retirement age, I'm also going to have a substantial income and a large nest egg in my savings. And so when I'm withdrawing that money out, that's going to put me in a higher tax bracket. So I would prefer to have as much of that money in a Roth account because when I do draw that out, that will be tax-free. And although I might be in a higher tax bracket because of uh, all the other savings and money that I have working for me, that Roth IRA will be tax-free. Again, that's my personal preference. It fits into my lifestyle and my plans. You have to make your own decisions. Now, finally, the last item that I like about the 401k is the fact that I would say not all employers, but most employers offer a match. And that employer match is something that I think that everybody should take advantage of. You have to talk to your HR department and understand your exact benefits, but many employers will match you and they have different schemes on how they do it, but they'll generally match you somewhere between 3 and 6%. I've seen other employers be incredibly generous and match even more. As I say, though, you do have to be careful because it always isn't a one-for-one dollar match. It may be, you know, they'll match you 25 cents on a dollar or 50 cents on a dollar. Um, but what I would say is that even if you hate a Roth IRA, now I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm giving you a preview of what I'm, how I'm going to end this podcast today when I give you the bottom line. But let me just say this to all of you uh, 401k haters out there. And, you know, brother, I'm in your camp too. I'm not saying that I love the 401k. There are a lot of things I don't like about it, and we're going to get to that next. But the one thing you got to love is that employer match. If they're matching you dollar for dollar on your contribution, then think about it. That's a 100% return on your money, and you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. For every $1 you put in, they put in a dollar. That means you now have $2, so you now just received a 100% return on your money. Now, I know those of you that are out there that are concerned about, say, um, you know, something changing with the government or something falling apart in the economic system or, or a, you know, a collapse on the U.S. dollar or just something like that. You're worried about the, the government stealing your retirement money from you. And for those reasons and other reasons, you don't want to contribute to your 401k. Well, I would still encourage you to contribute the amount that your employer matches. And it's because of that 100% return rate on your money. Think about it in these terms. You're getting a 100% return on your money. So even if the dollar does devaluate, it would have to devaluate 50% for you to break even, right? Because your employer is, by matching you, is giving you 100% return on your money. And so if you're worried about like an economic collapse or at least some kind of devaluation of the dollar, well, if the dollar devaluates 50%, you're still breaking even. So you're not losing any money in that situation. The same would be true, you know, if the government starts to confiscate retirement funds or something. Well, they'd have to take away 50% of your 401k because your employer matched you dollar for dollar, right? So if you put in a dollar, your employer puts in a dollar, you now have $2. If the government comes in and steals 50% of your retirement fund, well, you had $2, 50% of that, they're going to take away a dollar. That leaves you with a dollar. Well, that's what you put in to begin with. So depending upon how severe of a scenario you look at, I think that it's really hard to lose by taking advantage of that employer match. And I would really encourage you to do that. 
the same thing would be if you're worried about limitations in the ability to invest that money, and that's what we're going to talk about as a negative with the 401k. But even assuming that, let's get back to that employer match. He's giving you a 100% return on your money. So even if you just put in that $1 and you didn't do anything else with it, you just left it in a money market fund and left it totally risk-free, well, because your employer matched it, you received a 100% return. So more or less, that's the equivalent of receiving a 5% return on your money over the next 20 years. You see, so that you still want to make that work in your favor. I really can't think of a situation where you wouldn't want to contribute to your 401k to the amount that's being matched by your employer. I mean, the way I look at it is it's free money. Again, you got to think about it yourself. Work through all those negative scenarios you can come up with. And I think you're going to find it pretty compelling that that 100% return in your money is a good deal. Now, let's talk about some of the things I dislike on the 401k plan. And this is a big dislike. The choices are extremely limited, and this is in my opinion. And I also think they're very inflexible. And I not only think that they're that way, what concerns me is that they're designed that way. Basically, these accounts are set up to encourage you to buy mutual funds and do that in a buy and hold strategy. And I, I use the word encourage. I use that charitably. Um, another way would be to say to force you or to make you do these things. I mean, it's basically making you buy and hold and to make you doing that into mutual funds. So in essence, in my opinion, these 401ks are set up to not only force you to buy mutual funds, but they also force you to, to buy and hold, to be, to be compelled to be in a buy and hold strategy. And I say that because most of these funds that I see, they only offer mutual funds. Now, they do offer a wide variety of mutual funds, but they are still only mutual funds. You're generally not offered uh, individual stocks unless it's your own company stock. And I've never seen a program that allows you to buy into exchange-traded funds, which offer a, a great deal of diversification at a really good price. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. The problem I mostly have with this is just the inflexibility of it. Most of these accounts are set up to limit you from trading. And I don't mean just from day trading, but I mean swing trading in general. A lot of these things are set up so that there are at least a week or in some cases maybe six weeks, 90-day type limits on, you know, if you buy it and sell it, then they don't allow you to get back in for another 90 days or something. And these just go against my trading methods, my trading strategies. Now, again, if you're a buyer and a holder, then you'll love this and it's good for you. But you have to ask yourself, why was it set up this way? Why did the financial industry lobby the government? And, and you can be sure they spent billions of dollars with lobbyists influencing Congress and the people that wrote these rules and regulations so that you'd be forced to have the inflexibility and to only be able to buy mutual funds. Do you think they did that for your benefit? Do you think they did that because they're benevolent? I don't think so. I think Wall Street did it to help Wall Street, not to help you. Now, if you're fine with that, good for you. But for those of you that are frustrated with the fact that you can't move in and out of funds or that you're only limited to certain funds, I feel your pain. And brother, that's why I say that I'm not in love with 401k plans. And when it comes to my personal preference and whenever I was participating in these and given the choice for the most part, I only invested up to what the employer matched. Again, because that was a 100% return on my money, I was willing to put that money out there and I knew that I had less ability to trade it and I was going to be in funds maybe that I didn't want, but I was upfront getting that 100% return and that's why I think that employer match is so important. The other thing I don't like about 401ks is the fact that you're paying a lot of high fees. Now, you're going to say, hey, I don't pay any fees. Well, you are. You just don't see them. And to me, that's really the insidious part about it. They're not always very visible. But again, why do you think that Wall Street spent so much money on lobbyists and influencing the government when they set up these 401k plans that you had to pretty much be locked into mutual funds? Well, they did that because it's a huge source of revenue for them. 
look at the prospectus, look at all the things in there about fees, and then you can be sure that there's some other fees tacked in there as well that you don't see that's done through uh, like a group administration rate. But in my opinion, in, in the plans I've seen, uh, you would be much better off investing in like an exchange-traded fund that's in an IRA or Roth that you control as opposed to these high fees that are being collected on the mutual funds in the, in the 401k. The other thing I don't like about 401ks is that many of them uh, not only offer targeted date funds, but they really push and they really promote them. And these are the funds that say, hey, if you're going to retire in the year 2020 or 2025 or something, then, then you should put your money in this fund. And what I don't like about that is that basically it's it's just a an algorithm that takes the money that you put in there and then each year as you get older, it reallocates it and it moves your assets more into bonds. Now, what I don't like about that is that it creates this illusion or this assumption that bonds are safe. And that's really a, a theory that's promulgated by Wall Street. It's one of those things that they want you to believe, and it's a myth. Bond funds are not safe. Just because you're older or just because you're nearing retirement, that doesn't mean that a higher percentage of your money should be in bond funds. Now, I'm not saying that a higher percentage of your money should be in the stock market either. Again, maybe you should be in something like cash or a cash equivalent, or maybe you should be in a specific very high-quality bond, but not a bond fund. And the reason I stress this, and I've talked about it in many episodes before, is that people don't realize that bond funds can lose money. It reminds me of, you know, before 2008, before the housing bubble, and a lot of people were running around saying, well, you can't lose money in real estate. Well, they found out that once that bubble burst, you could lose money in real estate. And if this bond bubble that we're in now bursts, you're going to see a lot of people losing money in bond funds. Remember, bonds move inversely with interest rates. So the price you pay for a bond is inverse to the interest rate that's paid on it. Now, why that's important is that if you're in a bond fund, particularly if you're in a long-duration bond fund, something that's 10, 15, 20, 30 years, that long duration can hurt you if, if rates rise. And this is even if you're in top-quality government bonds. A lot of people think that because they're in a 10-year government bond fund, it's guaranteed by the government and they can't lose money. Well, that's not true. What's guaranteed by the government is the fact that they will pay on those bonds at maturity, or they'll pay the interest rate in a form of a dividend over the years until that bond matures. But if interest rates go up, the principal in that bond fund will go down because you'll be able to buy newer issued bonds at a higher interest rate. And as a result, bond funds are constantly moving in and out of bonds. They don't always hold the bond until it goes to maturity. And for that reason, the principal in there fluctuates. Now, we haven't seen people lose money on bond funds in the last 30 years or so because for the most part since 1980 interest rates have come down and they've come down they've seen to stabilize now the question you have to ask yourself are they going to stay this low forever because if they ever start going back up then bond funds are going to lose principal and that's something you should be concerned with that's why I don't like these targeted date 401k funds I think there are a lot of smoke and mirrors I think people will invest in them and they don't know what they're getting into there's not enough disclosure on that and that concerns me about the 401k plans Finally, the last thing I don't like about 401ks, and this is something that most people do like, it's, it's presented as a positive, but I think it's a negative, and that's the fact that you can take a loan from your 401k. Now remember, you can't loan money to yourself from your IRA or your Roth, but you can do it from an employer-sponsored 401k plan. Now you may see that as an advantage if you 
have a medical emergency or something like that, you want to pay for education for a kid or whatever. Well, I see it as a negative because people that tap into their retirement savings or people that take loan for, loans from their retirement savings, more times than not, they don't pay them back. Remember, your retirement savings are for retirement. You shouldn't be touching them until you're 59 and a half or 60 or 70 or 80. That's money that's there to take care of you in your old age. Your emergency fund should be money that you're putting aside in addition to whatever you're contributing to your retirement fund. In fact, you should be contributing to your emergency fund before you put money into your retirement fund. I think that when they make these loans available, people particularly with uh, low income or those with less of an understanding of how money and finances work, or those are the people that are most likely to take loans from the 401ks. As I said, they generally don't pay them back. Uh, what they also don't realize is when they leave that employer, that money's due. I think you have like 60 or 90 days to pay it back. If you don't, it's considered a taxable event. It's just all around bad. Um, any money that you commit to retirement, whether it's a 401k or a Roth or an IRA or whatever, well, any of that money you commit to your retirement plan, my preference is, is that that is money that you should never touch until you need it for retirement. You put it away, you forget about it. Don't ever think of it as savings for emergencies or savings to buy a car or a house. Think of it as long-term savings to take care of you when you're old. Okay, so that's the four or five reasons each on uh, pros and cons why I do or I don't like a Roth IRA. Let me just sum it all up for you. And again, these are just my personal opinions, but they're also the way I've lived my life over these last 30 years and how I contributed to a 401k for the most part when I had it offered to me uh, when I worked for a corporation. I personally always contributed at least to the amount that the employer matched. Remember, that's 100% return on your money for all the reasons you may not like 401k plans Think about that 100% return on your money. I think in most cases, it's going to be hard to talk yourself out of that. I always took advantage of it, and it's worked out well for me. Now, here's a point I want to make, though. For those of you who are saying, well, John, how can you be a well-setter and save all this money if you're only going to contribute up to the amount that your employer is matching because probably they're only going to be matching 2 or 3 or 5%? Well, what I did was after I maxed out whatever my employer was going to match, I saved the rest of my money in my own paycheck and then I opened up my own either Roth IRA or traditional IRA and I maxed that out to the allowable amount. Currently, if you're under 50 years old, you and your spouse can contribute $5,500. If you're over 60 years old, you and your spouse can contribute $6,500 a piece. So for example, let's just, for round numbers here, let's just say I made $100,000 and my employer matched 5%. So I would put $5,000 into my company's 401k plan, my employer would match that with 5000 and then I would still be eligible to contribute to an IRA, which would be $5,500, and then whether my spouse worked or not, I could still contribute $5,500 for her. So the 5500 for me and the 5500 for my spouse would be $11,000 plus the $5,000 I contributed to my IRA. I've now saved $16,000. That's coming out of my own pocket, and then plus my my employer kicked in another five thousand. So what's that put me up to? Twenty one thousand dollars in savings. Now on an income of a hundred thousand dollars, I just gave you an example where I could be saving twenty one thousand dollars. That includes my employer contribution, and what is that? Well, that's more than twenty percent of my income is going into retirement savings. And if you remember back to previous episodes, that's the number I give you that you need to save if you want to be financially independent. If you want to go into retirement financially independent and you don't have an employer-sponsored pension, then you need to be saving, I would say, at least 20% of your income. Now, if you do have a very good pension from your employer, you can get away with maybe only saving 10%. 
But there's an example of how you can put away $21,000 into a tax-advantaged retirement account on a $100,000 salary. It isn't easy, but it just takes discipline to save the money and put it away before you spend it. So that's my thoughts on the 401k. I would max out whatever the employer matches, and then I would take the difference, and I would put that into my own personal IRA or personal Roth. And again, this is just my personal preference. It's what I've done over the last 30 years. There is one exception to that, though. And the exception is if I knew that I was only going to be with an employer for a few years or if I was nearing retirement, then I would consider putting more into the 401k. In fact, I would consider maxing it out. Remember, I mentioned that one of the things I really like about the 401k plan is that it has very high contribution limits. If you're over 50, you can be putting away $24,000 into that thing. So if you're nearing retirement and you haven't been saving up very much, that's a really good way that those last, you know, five years or three years or two years or whatever before you retire, sock away $24,000 each year. Even though there are the limitations we talked about in the 401ks where you have less choice, it's not as flexible, there may be higher fees. Remember, you're only doing this for the last couple years before you retire, maybe the last five years. So you're not going to do this for the rest of your life. What it will allow you to do, though, is once you retire, you can roll that entire amount out. You're going to do this and move it into a ta another tax-advantaged account like an IRA where you have more choices, where you can put your money into things like exchange-traded funds or where you can buy individual stocks or where you can make your own choices and move into less costly investment options, you know, where you have the control. So you're using those couple years before you retire to build up your nest egg and then you're going to roll it all over in the IRA. That's the same thing you can do if you're planning on only being with an employer for say two or three or four years. Let's just say you're going to work there for two years. Max it out. Put everything you can in there. And then in two years when you quit and go on to another job, you don't roll that 401k into your new employer's 401k. You roll it into a separate IRA that you're going to make your own investment decisions on. That's one of the ways I was able to build up such a significant retirement fund. When opportunities were available to me and I knew I was going to be switching jobs, I could put a lot of money into that 401k and then when I quit, I rolled that over into my own personal IRA or Roth IRA and then I could trade it from there and that money built and then when I left that next job, I could roll that money into that same IRA or Roth and let it grow and develop again. And trust me, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. And that's how over a period of 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 years, you can find yourself financially independent and set yourself up for a very nice retirement. Well, that's what I wanted to cover with you today. I appreciate when you send in these kind of questions. I don't always get the opportunity to reply back to each of your emails. But I do take the questions into consideration and then I try and conglomerate them to where I can have an episode on them. So if you do have a question or concern or you just want to give me feedback about the podcast, you can do that at the website, which is wealthsteading.com. As always, and until next time, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best of returns.